Life Audio. What do we learn about ourselves when we do something that is extraordinary? Now, maybe not extraordinary for every person, but extraordinary for you. Something unusual, something out of the ordinary, something you wouldn't normally do. What do we learn about ourselves when we allow ourselves to engage in something that is uncomfortable or difficult? There's so much to be learned. We could argue that in our country, we have a crisis of comfort. We're so focused on being comfortable that even as people of faith, we're not willing to stand up and push back against those things that are happening in our culture that will hurt us. Certainly personally, we're so engaged in being comfortable that we never get outside of that world and figure out who we really are. It's important that we understand what it is to push ourselves to different levels, to stand up when we need to stand up, and even when it's uncomfortable, to do the hard work work. That's what we're going to talk about today on the March or Die show. I'm grateful to have a great guest that is going to help us break that down. We'll get into that in just a moment. Hello and welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you joining me and looking forward to an incredible conversation which I will share with you in just a moment. Before we jump into that though, I want to remind you if you have not yet signed up for the 22 for 22 challenge, which I talked about last week. I'll continue to talk about that in the next several weeks. Please go and check that out, 22for22challenge.com. You can find a place to register for the event that we, as the Mighty Oaks Foundation, are doing in uh, just a couple of weeks. Well, a couple of months, I guess. It's a little ways out there uh, as we get ready for Veterans Day. It's in my mind. It feels like it's just right down the road. We have a little bit of time, but as we lead up to Veterans Day, we are going to do 22 consecutive days of events. I'm going to be running a marathon a day for 22 days, and you can do something. The question is, what are you going to do? Go ahead and register on 22for22challenge.com. That would be great. If you also get some time after you're done doing that, go to jeremystonlicker.com. You can find my webpage. All of the information about me, socials, other podcasts I'm involved in, all of it is there. So the question before us today, what do we learn about ourselves when we allow ourselves to get into the uncomfortable? So much of life is spent being comfortable or preserving comfort. We see this in the political realm where there are things happening that we don't like, but it's uncomfortable to stand up against them, and so we don't. Uh, Other places, even spiritually in our faith life, we need to do the uncomfortable to grow, but it's so easy to just stay where we are physically. We are working all of the time to stay comfortable. We need to get outside of that. We need to experience discomfort. We need to do the hard things because it's really in the hard things that we learn about ourselves. I've got a great guest on today that I'm I'm very grateful to have connected with, to have gotten to know, and and excited to be able to share this conversation with you. My guest is Dr. Malachi O'Brien. Dr. O'Brien is a pastor, or the pastor, of the church at Pleasant Ridge. Uh, Not only is he a pastor, uh, I would call him an evangelist. He speaks on 
matters of faith and revival and the gospel across the country. Uh, Also, in addition to that, so pastor and speaker and communicator of all things important in our world, he is an ultra runner. And uh, the convergence of these things is interesting to me. Uh, I'm involved in speaking and preaching and teaching and really engaged, as I mentioned in the top of the show, uh, in, in running in some of these endurance events. And uh, he is as well, currently holds the record for the most consecutive marathons, 62 marathons in a row. And we have the opportunity to talk about his faith, his story his life, uh, what he cares about as a pastor and as a Christian living in America, and then beyond that, some of the lessons that he's learned through these hard endurance events that he's uh, allowed himself to get involved in. Very excited to be able to share this conversation with you, with my guest, Dr. Malachi O'Brien. Dr. O'Brien, thanks for joining me. I am uh, very excited about this conversation. I'm honored to be on the show, Jeremy. I've had fun kind of researching you before this conversation to know that I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. There is a, there's a lot, and uh, man, you're involved in so many different things. Um, I mentioned to you right before we started, uh, I, I first came across your, your Instagram profile and, and a lot of the stuff that you do. Uh, probably most people start on like the ministry side and work from there. Uh, the first thing that attracted me to, to your uh, social media stuff was all of your running and the other things that you've been involved in. Um, in that front, in the endurance uh, world front, and I'd love to talk about some of that, but your life is much bigger than that, of course. Um, and really, that's a good place to start. So let's start with your story. Um, okay. You're a pastor, you are an ultra runner, you're a husband, a father, you're involved in so many things. What's your story of faith? How did you get here? How did God bring you to the place you are right now? Sure, and, and I, I hope the, the story will resonate with your audience because I tell people this, my name Malachi does not come from having, having grown up in a Christian home. Mm. If I was to be honest with you, I was adopted when I was three. I am 99% sure my name came from the cult leader and children of the corn. Oh. <laughs> so that's just, that's just a perspective that I'm pretty confident on. Um, but was adopted when I was three, moved to a different family member's house, um, lived with my aunt and uncle who raised my brother and I. My biological uh, mother died when I was 12, alcohol and drugs. Um, my biological father I have a relationship with now and my biological family in Denver. But my aunt and uncle lived out in the country. My uncle, who I called dad, start, ran a muffler shop in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And it was a – here's the unique thing. It was the bus ministry of a little Baptist church yeah. in this yeah. small town in, Can- in Kansas I lived in that we rode this blue bus to church. My, my, my aunt and uncle never went. And church family became family. I gave my life to Christ at a vacation Bible school at 12 years old. They sent me to church camp that very same summer. God called me to preach that summer, and my pastor immediately took me under his wing. My church family became my family, and and the, and the rest is history from there. But uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm beyond grateful for the, the role of the local church, the importance of the local church in small towns, rural areas. Um, in doing things people don't think works. A lot of things work if you work it. And so in a nutshell, that's my come to faith, call to ministry story. The unique part of my story, I'll give you this, Jeremy, that I got married three weeks after high school. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, wow. yeah, and my, my first wife and I are still married. And so... Uh, still married. <laughs> Your first wife. Yeah, yeah, she loves it when I say that, or even when I say my former girlfriend, which is still true. Um, right. Yeah, you know, but we have 
five biological kids, and then we have two that, well, one that we've adopted and one that just yesterday, um, at the time of, the, of this broadcast, uh, the judge just told us that we'll be able to adopt this one-year-old that's now in our life. So there'll be seven kids in our house, and that's one of the reasons why I, I do some of the ultra-endurance stuff is to raise awareness to certain very tangible needs the church can impact immediately wherever they are. Yeah, that's awesome. What a what a great story. It's amazing to hear stories of God's grace and goodness. Um, you, you talk about bus ministry. I was raised in a, a church culture that was all about the bus ministry, and um, we called it at the time door knocking, right? It's going door to door and inviting people Soul to winning. church. And, so winning. winning and all, all these things that people now, they kind of really like, oh, yeah, you're one of those extremists. But there was a time without social media, without the ability to do a lot of the other, you know, we'll call it marketing in in air quotes that we do, where it was going house to house and door to door and finding kids, doing backyard uh, vacation Bible schools. And I mean, that was so effective. Even growing up in a Christian home, I learned so much just through all of that. And um, it's that idea of do what works in your community to reach people that need Jesus. And uh, yeah. And I think whatever stories like yours, yeah. I think whatever people work will work. People will say, "Oh, that won't work." Well, you've never tried it, and so whatever whatever you just focus on and do, it will be productive. Uh, And there's still places bus ministry still works. Um, I was a bus captain, if you know that term. Sure, Uh, sure. When I was in high school, uh, even on graduation day, I was still on the bus. uh, You know, getting kids to church, then getting home from church quickly, going to my high school graduation. So, wow, yeah. And then three weeks later, getting married. He married, and then was a youth pastor immediately. We lived in the basement of the church. I mean, that's you can't skip church. The, the sanctuary is upstairs. So, yeah, you know, right. you can't make the story you up. Have to walk you everything it. back. Yeah. Um, you you've uh, adopted kids. You've been involved in that, and I'm sure your your own background has had something to do with that. Can you talk about that? Obviously, that's important to you. You do, you know, you do these events to raise awareness for that. Um. I hope that the Christian community is becoming more interested and concerned in adoption and fostering and those things. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, the Bible is very clear about the widows and the orphans um, that the church is to have a direct responsibility and taken care of. I mean, pure and undefiled religion is this. And there was a day in the history of the world that the church took the lead on orphans um, you know, George Mueller, the uh, yeah. orphanages, um, you know, even famous preachers of years gone by. You know, I think of a guy in Texas by the name of Lester Roloff that had sure. children's homes. and But somehow, some way, the church, reg- like, we regulated our responsibility to the government. And we kind of advocated our role, subcontracted out our responsibility. But foster care and adoption is one of those very simple things that if every church got involved to adopt one child. That's one issue that we could eradicate immediately in our nation. And there's enough support people in any size church to help people do this. And imagine the gospel witness to the world yeah. when, the, when it's like, what's happened? There's no more kids to be adopted because the church stepped in. I mean, if we're going to be serious about things, we have to be like abortion and yeah. and all. Yeah. we have to step up in these roles and make a difference. So yeah. I was adopted. I, and it's always been in my heart, and my wife and I felt like it was something the Lord spoke to us to do. We just didn't know when, but now is the time. Yeah. And it's just something I wish every church would consider. I wish everybody – and there, there'll never be a convenient time or resources. Yeah, it's right. something that we can right. do. 
It's uh, in this uh, kind of the abortion debate. One of the criticisms of Christian people who would you know identify as pro-life um, has been that is mm-hmm. you're pro-life, and, and again, I think it's a it's a faulty argument. It's intellectually you know uh, bankrupt even to go down that it's road. Honest. But yeah. but it's a it is dishonest. But it's a real argument, and it is a real like. Well, we'll stand out on a street and you know scream for um, you know babies to be born, and we should. But we're not doing anything on the other side because an afternoon is one thing, but a lifetime is something else. And until we're willing, I think, as a church to do both, uh, we're we're going to continue to lose some of these arguments. Absolutely, and you know, I'm a product of people in the church investing in somebody that wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, that's my story. Um, that saw and like come over for lunch and do this and do that, and so it makes a difference. It makes a massive difference. As you. Um, you know, you, you speak for uh, Turning Point USA. Um, you know, they have a faith component or a faith mm-hmm. side, uh, which I think it's funny personally that they designate that because I feel like all of it's kind of <laughs> kind of faith, but they have Absolutely. their own de- designation, yeah. right? But um, and so you're you're talking on issues that are important as Americans, but from mm-hmm. a faith perspective, you pastor a church. You're you're very vocal in in so much of what you believe. Um, what are some of the big issues that you're concerned about in the United States? Um, when you call for things like revival, mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? How do you see that? How do you see that happening? Uh, what are these issues that you're out front representing? Sure. Um, that's a loaded question, so let me try to sure. unpack it in several different ways yeah, for you. Yeah. You know, let me just say out of the gate, you know, I am grateful to be a part of, of TPSA Faith. I am grateful to be friends with Charlie Kirk, his wife Erica. The entire yeah. team are phenomenal. The team at TPSA Faith is just, they're the real deal. I've been in organizations that that have a faith banner, but you don't you wonder if they pray, walk with God, read the yeah, Bible. Yeah, right, sure, sure. But number one, um, you know, Christian, a Christless conservatism is as dangerous as a Christless liberalism. Meaning... The, the end the outcome is the same it's just slower getting there but the desire is still for power control money you name it yeah um, so I'm not naive that there isn't issues on both sides of the aisle but like a friend of mine Jensen Franklin said recently we're at a point where it's no longer red versus blue R versus D it's now heaven versus hell I mean we're yeah. literally at that point yeah. that because the church has been silent, I believe the Lord has raised up people such as, I'll even say, you know, Donald Trump, who I served on his faith advisory team the last go-around. I'm on that again this go-around, reaching, trying to reach young pastors. Um, I mean, you look at like, I would just say Joe, the Joe Rogans of the world, the Russell yeah. Brands of the world, the Elon sure. Musk of the world. They're maybe not believers, but they understand there is evil in this world mm. that's causing things to happen. And they're becoming more vocal than a lot of pastors. And thus people are, you know, people in the church are looking for answers and they're going outside the church to find those answers because pastors have, have, and I love that Eric Metaxas talks about this well in his latest book, Letter to the American Church. But we think, we think it's, it's a gospel issue to not talk about politics. No, it's a gospel issue to talk about politics. I mean, go study the history of of Nazi Germany and about the 12,000 churches that did nothing when Hitler was, 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 was ravaging and, and killing the Jews. The Jewish question was the main question, and it was 12,000 pastors that were silent because they were silent. Uh, Hitler did what he did. Um, the, we need Lord, the Lord Jesus to revive his pastors, to awaken pastors to be 
bold, prophetic men of God behind the pulpit to speak, to, to give courage to people sitting in the pews, the moms and the dads that see what's going on and to give them hope that, that our God is able to overcome all these things. God has not forsaken America. We're not, we, I don't, I think this idea that we're just to live in this exile mindset, right, we're just, sure. that's, that's a faulty mindset, but you know, it, it's, it, it comes out of this idea that we're loving our neighbor well by not talking about politics. Couldn't be further from the truth. Politic, Paula White has said this. Politics matter because politicians create policies and policies impact people. Yeah. And so every church could actually change their city by electing people to the city council and school board. Then you don't have shutdowns and man and all sorts of things that yeah. could happen if you actually, you know, did what the, the Black Robe Regimen in the uh, Revolutionary War the pastors, the pastors' sermons put courage for the men carrying the muskets into battle, yeah, and a lot of our early constitution, state constitutions, were the sermons of pastors. But there is a generational mindset that a lot of what I've encountered is a lot of millennial pastors and gen, up and coming Gen Z leaders see both parties as evil, so they want nothing to do with it. And so we have to kind of tear down those what I would think demonic strongholds and lies. And say this is how we get involved, but this is how we are a Christ witness in the political arena. We don't compromise who we are. And I think there's been men of the past that have done this well. I think Jerry Falwell did it very well. I think D. James Kennedy did it very well. I think men like James Dobson did it very well. I think Chuck Colson did it very well. I think guys like Eric Metaxas, and you got Charlie Kirk and others that are doing it well now. Yeah. It's time for pastors to get involved. It's a gospel issue every time. Yeah, and revival. Let me let me see about revival. My, my hope is not in the White House, and this is a cliche. It's not in the White House. It's not in your house. It's my house, and yeah. I need revival. Revival is Jesus. Revival looks like Jesus. Revival acts like Jesus. Jesus is not unto revival. Jesus is revival. He's not. He doesn't want to. He's not coming to give us revival to make our churches bigger. Because oftentimes, if revival comes, your churches will get smaller. The mathematics of revival are quite interesting. We want addition and multiplication, but oftentimes the mathematics of revival result in subtraction and division. But Jesus is coming back for your pure and spotless bride. I believe we're on the precipice of the greatest awakening in human history as the darkness rises on the earth. It's not going to be Mayberry. It's not going to be, you know, the good old days. It's, but it's God's going to go come back, that pure and spotless bride. And I think we got a glimpse of that at Asbury this last year. I was there for the final night of the Collegiate Day of Prayer in Wilmore, Kentucky, there in that, in that sanctuary, and it was absolutely heaven on earth. The presence of God was there, and I believe God is reviving his church to first love. Revival is the answer for the church because Jesus is the answer. Um, not our favorite theology, not our favorite preacher, not our favorite issue. Jesus is still the answer for everything, and if I didn't believe he could revive, I'd hang it up now Sure, because there's lots of hope out there. And I, I see it, the sparks of revival in the next generation. I heard a professor of mine once said this. He said, I may not be old enough to start a revival, but I may be old enough to stop one. So mm. we better be careful to encourage the flames of revival in the next generation and make sure we as, as leaders in the body of Christ are getting older. We don't stop it. We don't stop oh, that's it. That's good. I, I would like to pivot. So it's a pretty strong pivot, but to uh, – your kind of other life, <laughs> yes. Your life of uh, of ultra running and and endurance uh, sports. How, how did how did in all of this? How did that come to be in your life? Sure, I like to joke with people and say I moonlight as a pastor. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I, I daydream that I'm a semi professional runner, which it kind of feels that way. Sure. Um, you know, I would say 
I don't think Christians understand the um, the parallel between our our emotional health and spiritual health is de- directly connected to our physical health and our pushing through tough challenges. Like we live in a in a world that you have to sign up for discomfort. Like you could right, stay in a right. home, get your food delivered, do your job from home, never leave, and it would be in air conditioning. But it's only when you embrace discomfort you discover who you really are. And so, for me. We went through a very, I mean, I've, I've always been, I've done a few hundred mile races, a 50 mile race, but I've always been intrigued that I just know there's got to be more out there and I just thought, i got to break through. And so it took a crisis in my life of my oldest daughter, um, you know, a year and a half, almost two years ago, attempted to take her own life. And it opened my eyes to um, the youth mental health epidemic. And the anxiety, the crushing anxiety of the next generation, the fact that 70% of all teenagers are probably vape or do weed, like 70% is probably a pretty safe number right now. Um, so literally it was in that moment I said, you know what, I need to change before I can change anybody else. I've already doing these extreme things, but it had to go to another level. So of all people that I could have a conversation with shortly after this, I had a short conversation with Tony Robbins. Right. <laughs> all people. I'm, I'm not. Sure. That's I'm not making that up. And it was in a free challenge he did, and and I've been connected since then, and with all of their stuff. And so, it put in my mind, if you want, if, if you want to have change, you got to take massive action. If you want to change your life, you got to change the words you tell yourself, change your physiology, which means you got to get at, get active and move, and you got to change your perspective on things. And so, for me, I knew that running. And fasting. Those are two different things, but two things that have radically changed my life. And so I said, you know, I'm going to do something extreme. And so I had come across Jackie uh, Hunts Boozma, I may have pronounced yep. it, mispronounced the name, who was in the process of breaking the women, the Guinness World Record for women for consecutive daily marathons outside. And so I then researched what the men's record was, saw that it was much, much shorter, you know, yeah. and said, you know, I'm going to do something extreme. So I emailed Guinness. 12 weeks later, I got my answer. 12 weeks later. Um, <laughs> so many and, people trying to break records. They can't even respond. No, they can't respond. And, and they want you to pay. If you want a faster response, just pay $1,000. They'll respond faster. <laughs> um, I get it. But I decided I'm going to do something extreme that's going to force my whole life to change. And I, I kind of trained for it. I was kind of in decent shape. But I knew that you, you can't really train for something like that. You need to be yeah. in good shape. It's, it's, it, it, could be, it could be a challenge. And so... I trained all summer a year ago, um, and then October the 7th of this last year, I began to run a marathon every day, and, it, and trust me, every day was preparation for the next day. But it, it, when you go, David Goggins, I'm saying a lot of names here, so people might go, who's that? Sure. Who's that? But David Goggins says that we most people only operate about 40% of what they're capable of, 40%. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if we could tap into the other 60% that we're really capable of, if we got like laser focus on one thing, not not just broad focus on twenty things. Too many people involved in too many things. If they just hone in their life on one thing for a short season, they'd find massive success. So that was kind of the genesis of Tony Robbins, my daughter's situation, yeah. me needing to change, not knowing any better, um, and just going for it. And it changed my what I did ended up changing my life, Jeremy. I I that I. I can't begin to tell you the things God taught me. I've got things I could share, um, but it changed my life. Um, okay, so what are some of the things God taught you? Uh, you, okay. you don't have to list them all, but what are some of those some of those lessons? Okay, um, one of them is I never called doing what I did hard because hard is having cancer. 
hard, and I'm, I'm grateful for, for your foundation. Hard is losing someone you love to suicide. Yeah. And that's hard. Running a marathon that I chose to run is not hard. I chose that. Challenging, yes. Hard, no. And I never verbalized it out loud of anything. Like I never said, man, I'm tired. Nope. Never yeah. out loud said yeah. words like that. There were days I was in pain. There were days I was in pain. There was a day I was, I was, it was, I had a 102 degree fever. I was throwing up. It took me nine hours to run a marathon. It probably felt like walking, but it was the longest nine hours of my life because I was sick. You know, yeah. I ran in minus 20 degree weather in Woodland Park, Colorado on December 23rd when we had this like, you know, ice storm come through the Midwest yeah. on vacation. Like literally, you can get, you can like die in the cold. And I'm out there trying to finish my whatever <laughs> marathon that was yeah. at that time. Yeah. But so number one, I, I never called it hard. Number two, I never thought about the next day until I was finished with that the marathon that day. I only focused on one day at a time. And the most critical mile to run was the first mile. Mm. I knew if I could get out and get the first mile done, I'd get every other mile done. I did not let my mind go to day five, day eight, day 20, day 30. I stayed honed in on that day because most people get crucified between the thief of yesterday and the thief of tomorrow. And they don't yeah. live in the moment of today. Another lesson I learned was the power, this is the superpower of gratitude. I remember on Thanksgiving Day, I got up at one in the morning to go run because I wanted to be home uh, for Thanksgiving and still be married, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, I'm, I'm going to thank God for a thousand things today when I'm out running. Well, I officially found out I don't even know a thousand things, you know. Yeah. I'm like, I'm thanking for colors and veggie tails and you name it. <laughs> and so, but then the Lord said, thank me for every tough time you've ever had in your life. So I went mm -hmm. back as far as I could remember. And I said, Lord, thank you for allowing me to be adopted. Thank you for allowing me to go to a second home. Thank you for allowing me to, to, and I just named every difficult season of my life I could think of. Every ministry hurt I've ever been through. If anyone's been in ministry for any length of time, yeah. the trails, the loss, the everything and I found it was just it was liberating like it was actually rejuvenating and I think I went through my entire life that I could possibly fathom even my daughter's attempted suicide and I discovered that when you can thank God for your deepest hearts your most vocal critics and your darkest failures the enemy has nothing he can throw at you absolutely nothing and it was a very liberating day because I realized all that God brought me through and so that was on Thanksgiving on that Thanksgiving day and so yeah. I also just realized that um, most of what we most of what we focus on in our life doesn't matter. People go out. People go this. Well, people make excuses why they can't do this, why they can't do that. You know, you're getting ready to do the challenge that you're getting ready to do. Yeah. Um, it'll never be anything external that'll stop you. It won't be the weather. It won't be the time. It won't be anything on the outside that'll stop you. The only thing that'll stop you is something on the inside. Hmm. And so it's what stops people is never the excuses they say out loud. It's the narrative they believe on the inside. I promise you, it'll never be weather, time, money, anything. Yeah. It'll be the allowing that, that give up, quit mentality to take root in our heart, and then we verbalize it, and then we're done. So I would tell anybody who's watching or listening, go do some crazy, insane, hard things, and don't make excuses for it. Like Push yourself to the limit. And I promise you, there's there's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that yeah. can stop. You. It's uh, so I did a hundred miler um, back in February, the Rocky Raccoon hundred in uh, in Huntsville, Texas. 
Um, that was my first 100. I've done, I did a 100K. I've done several 50Ks. Um, but it's crazy. You have a lot of time to think, right? So, I mean, just the Christian life, and you think about the Christian life and and the metaphor that is not not running, but just getting out and like one step after another, one painful thought after another, and I want to quit. I feel trapped in this in this moment, in this situation. I can't quit. It's so dark. It's amazing. Like all of this stuff, right? It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest thing emotionally. Um, but the metaphor that is there, you know, Hebrews chapter twelve t- tells us to run mm-hmm. with patience the race set before us, and. Um, I preached a message in my home church the next Sunday on those first couple of verses of Hebrews 12 because it was just it's just right there, right? Mm. You've got the cloud of witnesses. You know, your crew is is cheering you on, but they can't do the work for you, but they're there yeah. for you, and you, you just have to keep following and keep trusting and keep moving. Um, I feel like so many people are missing an essential, I don't know, understanding of what it is to be human, what it is to be a follower of Christ, certainly, because they refuse to do hard things. We're just so caught up in comforts and... and you, only dis- you only discover who you are when you go into the pain cave. Yeah. You know, and you come out. That's only when... And it's like, you know this, when you run a 100-miler, what you already know is everybody is hurting. At right. Right. Mile 65. No one's feeling great. Yeah, yeah. They hide it better than I do, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, know, you mentioned the great cloud of witnesses. You might like the story. I did learn there are two levels of encouragement, though, because uh, two indivi- three individuals ran with me on a different marathon for different distances. One was Ronnie Floyd, a good friend of mine. One was a worship leader named Brenton Dowdy, who's part of the International House of Prayer. The other was Eric Metaxas. So oh, wow. Eric ran 22 miles with me. I flew to New York City, and we ran – from Manhattan uh, through Harlem into Jersey and back. And uh, we went where Bonhoeffer stayed wow. when he came back to America and went wow. Germany. But I realized in life, everybody needs encouragers, people that will cheer you on, that will text you, that will call you. But yeah. the next level of encouragement, and it's far few between, is people that won't just cheer you on. If mm. they're able to, they'll run with you yeah. and help you get to the finish line. The pacers in your if you had yeah. one in, in, in the Rocky Raccoon, which I think the Rocky Raccoon is, is like five laps, I think, or four yeah, it's laps. Yeah, five laps. I, I made the mistake of not having a pacer. I'm like, ah, this will be fine. It was fine until that last lap, and I'm like, this is cool. stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. No, but uh, So we need to be those kind of people for other people and be grateful for those we have in our life. And, and you know, you're right. There's no way that last 20 miles may seem like an eternity, but it, it's yeah. absolutely uh, – do you have another – like you got the 22 marathons coming up. Do you have another big race after that you're thinking about? Um, so my daughter was pretty upset at me, but two days ago I registered for Rocky Raccoon again. Um, I So I ran that. That was my first 100-miler. It took me 25 hours, like 25 hours and six minutes. And I started off really fast. I, I was hoping to get you know sub-24, and there's so many things I did wrong. Um, I just need to go back and do it again. So that's that's – none of that makes sense but it makes sense in my brain like i need to go back and and redo that um so that's the next one after the 22 marathons um in 22 days which i've I've talked about on social media i've talked a little bit about on this show but um after that and and so my daughter is 15 and she was you know part of my crew so she was up in the middle of the night and i whatever she's she's really funny i think she loved it but she wants to complain about it constantly um i said look i'm gonna run a marathon a day for 22 days i might as well just build on that you know as training it's like two months later um 
she's like, you're crazy. I'm not coming. So anyhow, well, yeah, you'll do it. And, and people go, no doctor will recommend it, by the way. <laughs> I've had some not recommend it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you'll just, it'll, it'll be addicting, um, you know, and, and it, it'll, it'll be life-changing for you and others that embrace the challenge of, yeah. of doing something hard. And uh, I have nothing but mad respect for anyone that does it because I know what it takes. And I, I know that the first – every day is a challenge, but it's an awesome challenge. Yeah. So. That's good. Well, maybe I can uh, talk you into running one of them with me. Um, I'll come out your direction or something. I'm, I'm running two official marathons, uh, Charlotte and the Marine Corps Marathon. So I'm running okay. both of those. And then uh, we've got a couple of events scheduled, but uh, it should be a good time. Um, man, I really appreciate the conversation. I feel like I could talk for a lot longer. But where can people, people follow you? Uh, you're active on social, but where else can mm-hmm. they follow you? Sure. So obviously, I mean, if you feel on the platforms, I'm super active on Twitter. I'm just at Malachi O'Brien on Twitter. The beauty of having the name Malachi is no one else has the name Malachi. Right. It's easy to find. Easy to find. So main platform X, formerly known as Twitter. Instagram, not as much. I have a public Facebook page of about a quarter million. Getting ready to launch a new website. Um, that's where primarily they can find me now. There's some new stuff coming out with some prayer and fasting stuff that I'm going to be releasing. And then the, the challenge is going to be the global vision initiative for this thing I was telling you about earlier about the half yeah. marathons that, that will launch where people can do something that's just got to equal to about 24,900, whatever that is. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but cool. I, if you, and let me, let me just say this. I'll be as bold to do this. If anyone who's watching would text me, and here's my number. Like I'll t- I text people back. I do this at conferences. My cell phone number is 501 538 8886 501-538-8886 they'll text me I will reach back out to encourage them in any way I can and just be grateful I got to be um, on your show um, I really want to help people succeed in what God's put in their heart to do and so I love that there's a lot of similar things that we're involved in so I, yeah. I'm actually want to take you on that challenge I'd love to run with you a marathon so well, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out that's, uh, that's cool we'll talk and, and make, that, make that happen um, one of the unique things about that three-week period. So I do a lot of speaking and traveling anyhow, and I just decided up front I'm not going to change any of that. So we'll see if that all works out. But uh, I'll be doing some midnight runs too, I think. But it'll be all right. It'll be all right. (laughs) Man, thank you so much, Dr. Malachi O'Brien. Really appreciate it, and I look forward to to doing it again. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Thankful for that conversation. Please follow Dr. O'Brien. You can find him, of course, on social media, as he mentioned. Uh, A number of other places go and follow him. Uh, Great content that will be helpful to you. I do appreciate you listening to the March or Die show. And, of course, and I mention this every show or just about every show, uh, in addition to the March or Die show on lifeaudio.com, you can find another another set of amazing podcasts, great podcasts there with incredible hosts. So please go and check that out, lifeaudio.com. And I'd love for you to check those out. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Thank you for joining the conversation this week. And we will talk to you when we come back together. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. 
our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach, has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.